This past June, a small sinkhole opened up along Route 20 in Hinton, West Virginia. What started as a small but deep hole, around 6 feet across and 30 feet deep, continued to grow through the summer and fall, eventually opening up to a massive hole that gobbled up part of Route 20 while extending underneath the police station. The location of this sinkhole impacted a key transportation corridor, which impacted residents both inside and outside the town of Hinton. Hey GeoTrekkers, this is Dr. Hal. Welcome to episode 58 of the GeoTrek podcast. This is our first podcast in the Mountain State, that beautiful state of West Virginia. In this episode, we'll be talking about sinkholes, caves, fissures, and tunnels, those spaces that can open up underground and impact the built environment. If you're new to the podcast, GeoTrek investigates the impact of extreme weather and natural disasters on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you improve your decision-making, risk assessment, and communication related to extreme events so you can take action to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient. Hey, before we get into this episode, a big favor to ask our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you just take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark progress, which enables us to make more professional partnerships moving forward and ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. A little bit about the geography of this episode. I recorded these interviews on the ground in West Virginia the week after Thanksgiving. This is the first episode of a two-part series on sinkholes. Next week, we'll continue this theme in neighboring Kentucky. The first interview is with Greg Boso, president and principal engineer at Boso Forensics PLLC, recorded at his home in Summersville, near the center of the state of West Virginia. From there, I traveled east to cave country, recording interviews in Lewisburg and his where the sinkhole was still the talk of the town. Let's start by introducing this week's first guest. Greg Boso is a registered professional engineer in 34 states in Washington, D.C., and provides civil engineering and investigative engineering services, forensic engineering, insurance claims defense, and expert testimony for building construction. He also has expertise related to commercial, residential, and industrial development, as well as stormwater management. His investigative and forensic engineering services range from theory of failure and causation to recommending mitigative actions and preparing opinions of cost to repair, as well as providing reporting and expert testimony during court proceedings. In public service, Greg serves with the Summersville Fire Department, now serving as the department's chaplain with nearly 42 years of firefighting experience. He is also a former Republican member of the West Virginia State Senate, representing District 11 from 2015 to 2019. Greg, welcome to the GeoTrek podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you, Hal. It's been a while. Greg, here we are in your home in Summersville, West Virginia. Beautiful area. I love visiting you here. Well, you know, I, I call it almost heaven. Uh, you know, West Virginia has that mantra out there that it's almost heaven, West Virginia. And so, uh, why would I want to be anywhere else? Oh, the views, even on one of the top of the ridges, there was a little bit of snow today, and then you're going up and down these amazing mountains. It's a great place to live. And it won't be long before wintertime will be here, and we'll get to enjoy those uh, those scenic opportunities again. Yeah, that's uh, right. You know, the forecast right now with the woolly worms, uh, it's going to be a, a deep snow <laughs> deep snow winter. I used to do that with my grandma. We look at the woolly worms, get an idea exactly. of what we can expect, right? Exactly. You get all kinds of crazy, interesting weather, beautiful landscape here. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about caves, sinkholes, some of these things that may open up on someone's property that they don't want to see, you know? 
uh, really interesting stuff that happens in, in this part of the country. It really is. And, uh, you know, it, obviously when we get to West Virginia, it's got some unique topography, uh, unique situations, just because of the nature that the state was set up. But I mean, you know, uh, the eastern part of the state over around Greenbrier County, Pocahontas County has those karst topographies. Uh, you go to the to the western part of the state and you get the, 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 the farmlands along the uh, Ohio River. Greg, you were explaining to me these sinkholes, things like that. There are natural ones and there are man-made <clears throat> ones. Let's, let's start with the natural ones. You talked about karst. I mean, what does that mean and, and what's the environment where some of these natural sinkholes can set up? Sure. Uh, you know, when we talk about karst environment, it's basically limestone. Uh, it's mineral, solid mineral material that uh, has fractured as a result of the plate tectonics that have occurred, you know, in the geology. But moisture begins moving through those fissures and begins eroding uh, the, uh, the limestone, typically. Uh, then there's a reaction also between the water and, and sure. the, uh, the solid mineral because it's basic, the, you know, limestone is a basic material uh, and you get acid water that moves through that, there's a reaction and it begins breaking down that material and creating those, uh, uh, those cavernous opportunities. Right. You know, when you walk through those caverns, particularly, uh, you know, in my favorite part of, the, part of the world here in West Virginia, over around Greenbrier County, you know, you've got several caverns that are public caverns that mm -hmm. uh, you can walk through and, and get to enjoy. And, uh, the stalactites and the stalagmites and yeah. the, you know those calcium formations that occurred over hundreds of thousands of years uh, just are phenomenal to get to enjoy. Someone had told me where you find those <clears throat> caves that you can you have that same environment where you could find sinkholes as well. I mean we love the caves especially oh, yeah. the commercial ones you can tour them with your family but then uh, if a sinkhole opens up nearby that could cause a lot of problems, right? Well, and, and yes, and it's because the groundwater has moved through and as a result what happens is as the karst uh, as the karst environment breaks down, it creates a void underneath the ground surface. Uh, you know, you've got your, your soils that are overbearing the, the, the rock, and as the rock goes away and the water continues to move through that, then all of a sudden you start seeing that soil breaking down and falling into those, yeah. those caverns, those, those uh, holes that are going through that, that rock mineral material. Greg, could there be signs that there's a sinkhole or ground movement even before something opens up, like on someone's property? Sometimes you can see a depression hmm. uh, and be able to see uh, a change in, in the environment. And many times it'll be circular in, in fashion, okay. and you'll see some fissures in the soil surface. As that soil is beginning to fall in and coming, coming away from where it's stable, um, then you're going to to start seeing some of those signs. But many times, unfortunately, uh, when you know those sinkholes occur, it's, it's a catastrophic event. It, all of a sudden, the structure is gone and it just collapses into that, into that cavern uh, that's created through the rock. So sometimes they do not have the luxury of seeing a de de deformation over time. It might just be a collapse, like exactly. just instantaneously. Exactly. But you know, many times it'll start as a small uh, a small area and then sure. it begins expanding out. Okay. And so you'll see a, a continuation over a period of time, maybe several, you know, tens, hundreds of years that you see these sinkholes expanding and, and, and uh, enveloping more land and, 
and topography. You brought up an interesting point. You know, sometimes we stereotype a state with a certain hazard. Like I was telling you, when I think of Oklahoma, I think everywhere has this big tornado risk and people are like, no, it's, it's really in this more central and eastern part of the state with, with sinkholes and caves. Uh, initially, I was thinking, okay, all of West Virginia is kind of in the crosshairs. You were explaining some areas are more vulnerable than others. Well, they really are. I mean, you know, the eastern part of the state is where the more limestone, uh, and which is a along the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. And uh, that's where we had uh, the upheaval uh, during the formation of the, mm -hmm. of the Appalachian Mountains back year, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And um, so you get to moving westward in the state and you get more towards the, the um, sedimentary rock, okay. uh, sandstones, mm -hmm. through the central region of the, of the state. And then, you know, obviously you've got the alluvial fan soils along mm -hmm. the Ohio River sure. basins. And, and that happens also around the Canal Valley. Yeah, that's interesting because it shows there's a real geography to this. It's not just like everywhere has the same risk of a sinkhole opening. Exactly. Up. You know, our geography has changed just based on the way that our, our continent, our, our Earth was formed. Yeah. And so, which is really neat. Greg, uh, something else you mentioned that I thought was interesting is that these things can affect people in any state because sinkholes can also be man-made or caused by construction, utilities, different things like that. Could you explain a little bit about man-made sinkholes? Well, you know, when we think about sinkholes, it's all about water movement. And, and regardless of whether we're talking man-made or whether we're talking about natural, water movement affects the way sinkholes are created. The man-made type structures typically occur around constructed works utility lines, uh, water sewer that are buried deep in the ground. Water begins moving around because when we put those pipelines in, we changed the way that groundwater was acting and we've created a pipeline, if you will, along those conduits for water to move. And so it goes from a point where it's at the highest level, it follows the pipeline typically to a lower location. And uh, as that water moves, it moves the soil around the outside of that pipe, creates a cavernous area, and all of a sudden you see the soil structure above that pipeline collapsing in around it because the, the soil has been moved away. It sounds like you're saying that water can kind of move along these pipes, it can open up space, and all of a sudden when space is open, you can get a collapse. Well, it does, and you know, as water moves, it erodes the soil, uh, displaces the soil around the pipeline and creates that, that void area. I've, I've seen this in different cities and towns, sometimes even on roads, you'll see a sinkhole open up. and. Yes and the you know, Department of Transportation will come out, put cones around it before cars fall in. I mean, this could be a big impact on people's lives, right? Oh, certainly. You know, we see a lot of it happen, uh, you know, particularly in large cities um, where you know, the, the water has moved around the outside of the pipeline and all of a sudden around these large pipelines, uh, storm sewers and things like that, you get these massive craters uh, that many cars and people have a yeah. tendency to fall into. And Greg, this is really interesting because it brings home for our listeners, no matter where they are, that this could impact them, especially if they live in a city or town. You don't have to live in eastern West Virginia to have a problem with sinkholes, potentially. Or in any other state where you have karst topography, such as Kentucky, yeah. Tennessee. Uh, you know, there are those regions that also have that limestone-type uh, mineral uh, with, that, with that effect. But yeah, when we talk about man-made, Anywhere you have a metropolitan area, you have the, uh, the potential for constructed works 
to, to allow water to move around the outside of it and, and create those sinkhole opportunities. And I'd imagine once you get displacement of soils, this could cause problems with foundations. It could cause problems on the built environment. I know you have extensive experience doing forensic engineering, and I think yes. you're, you've even done some work with with sinkholes impacting structures, right? Exactly, uh, and I, I'm doing one case right now, for instance, that involves a sinkhole. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, revolving around a large diameter sanitary sewer uh, in the western part of our state here in West Virginia. And, uh, you know, the sinkhole has affected other properties. And so, you know, it, it we, we'll find that wherever uh, there's a natural water movement around the outside of that. It happens in Florida, it happens in New York, it happens in Philadelphia. Uh, you can go into the western part of the country and see the same similar offense. Greg, I know your background's forensic engineering, not necessarily like, you know, constructing these things in partnership with a city, but trying to figure out if something went wrong, kind of putting the pieces together. Do you know, are there practices that cities, towns can do to, to be more careful or to avoid some of these problems from happening in the first place? Well, first is to understand what, what the water conditions, the groundwater conditions are within those various areas. Uh, sometimes, you know, engineers will look at those types of situations and, and design uh, preventative measures around pipelines to create barriers for water to move around the outside of the pipe. Sometimes we have to look and do, do things like that. Um, so y you'll see many of that, those types of structures, particularly where you have dam impoundments, water impoundments, uh, we'll put those collars in and what they are uh, is just a flat piece of material uh, that's placed around the pipe that creates an opportunity for water to come against it, but makes it very difficult for it to get around it and pipe that material, uh, the soil material, away from. So that kind of blocks this water from running along the underground pipeline. It does. And, and so, you know, those are the types of things that engineers uh, typically will take a look at when, when they're looking at building uh, that built environment uh, for civil works, you know, underground piping for you know, sanitary sewer or storm sewers, or even water and, and sewer gas lines. Yeah, so it sounds like you, you could, you could kind of get out ahead of this and say, this could be a problem area if we don't build for this. Maybe there are things that they can do to kind of prevent or reduce the chance of a sinkhole opening up. And anticipate, you know, what could, could be, uh, be a problem down the area, down the road you know, for the area. Yeah. Greg, I have to ask you, your favorite cave in West Virginia, what, what is, does one stand out that, that people, if they're traveling through with their family, they should check it out? Um, there's a, the cave that I remember more than anything else is the old caves up at Smoke Hole, uh, which is in the northern, uh, northwestern part, northeastern part of the state, um, up in Pendleton County. And uh, as a child, those were the first caves that I ever went into, and those those memories yeah, continue. The to adventure flood. of it, right? But you know, uh, I've been in the Oregon Cave over at and uh, Lost Caves over in in Greenbrier County. Those are great great opportunities to take advantage of as well. Oh, that's great! I know there are a lot of caves down here, and I'm hoping to maybe explore one or two as well. Greg, any last thoughts or, or insights to share with our listeners before we wrap up? No, you know, really, how I appreciate the opportunity to just sit and have a conversation and uh, you know, to talk about sinkholes. But many people don't want to think about them right now, but uh, depending upon where, you, where you're going to be living, you know, obviously you want to take those into consideration. And it may have an impact on your, on your insuring. For sure. Uh, when, you know, on your insurance when you uh, 
are, are locating in those types of areas. I know a lot of our listeners from Pennsylvania down through both Virginias, Kentucky, Tennessee, this is a broad area. And then our friends in Florida too. I know when a lot of people think hazards with Florida, they're thinking hurricanes, Yes. but some of the biggest sinkhole areas in the country are also in Florida. So oh, that's something exactly for right. people to be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Greg, appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. Hal, it's my pleasure. <laughs> okay. Keep smiling. Okay. Thanks, Greg, for sharing those insights. From Summersville, I drove east to Greenbrier County, West Virginia, the heart of cave country in the eastern part of the state. My first stop was to Lost World Caverns, where I was able to get underground on an adventurous self-guided tour of their cave. So a long time ago, a West Virginia farmer discovered a hole in the ground on his farm. He didn't quite know what to make of it. And so according to a staff member at Lost World Caverns, this farmer was just using this hole to dispose of trash for a while. When the hole never seemed to fill up, he became curious if perhaps it contained a large cave. And on July 11th, 1942, he brought four cave explorers out to his farm. When J.L. Wingfield was lowered into the cave on a rope, his feet did not hit a solid bottom until he was lowered 120 feet through that hole. So imagine this, you're a cave explorer, three of your buddies are up above the ground, they're holding onto a rope, and you're being slowly lowered into this cavern. You have no idea how deep it is. That's some of the excitement of cave exploration. And he didn't hit the bottom until he got 120 feet down, and he was the first person to see what today is Lost World's Caverns. Pretty exciting stuff. So this hole in the top, it actually had a grapevine that was growing down through it. So they called it Grapevine Cave at first or the Grapevine Entrance. Today, they call this hole in the top of the cave the Natural Entrance. But this is really cool. So Lost Worlds is a limestone cavern. You can explore it. It's 1,000 feet long, 300 feet wide, 120 feet high. And most of the cave is more than 100 feet below the surface of the earth. Cool thing on it is that as you're touring the cave, at one point, you actually get to stand underneath the natural entrance and look up 12 stories, about 120 feet high. It looks like a point of light way above you. And that's the natural entrance where people came in originally. In the late 1960s, a tunnel was bored in from the side, which enabled this to open up as a commercial cave. But just really cool stuff. And it was really neat to kind of explore this limestone environment that dissolved. Again, keep in mind, limestone is basic. A lot of the rainwater is slightly acidic and so it can really dissolve these limestone areas and create these caverns. A few other factoids about the cave environment. So the temperature of a cave approximates the annual average temperature of the air above that location. So the temperature at Lost World Cavern stays about 51 degrees Fahrenheit or 11 degrees Celsius year round. Doesn't matter if it's winter, summer, the temperature down below in the cave does not really change. So a cave in eastern Canada, by contrast, would be noticeably colder, and while a cave in Florida or a salt dome in Louisiana would be considerably warmer. So again, the indoor temperature doesn't really, the, the temperature in the cave does not really change year-round. It, it approximates the annual average temperature above the ground. Most caves also experience a kind of an interesting environment where air circulates through them. We wouldn't really call it weather because it's below ground, but think of a cave environment with circulating air. And this is interesting because especially if there are multiple openings on a cave, 
you're going to see air circulating, especially when the weather is hot above ground or cold above ground. So imagine a really cold, warm morning, a cold winter morning in West Virginia. The temperature outside is only 11 degrees. But again, in the cavern, it's 51 degrees. So there's a big difference in temperature there. Warmer air is generally less dense and it wants to rise. So imagine on, on a morning like that when the air inside the cave is 40 degrees warmer than the air outside, you're going to get air rapidly rising through that hole in the natural entrance. In fact, a sign in the cave said on a very cold winter morning, quite a plume of warm, moist air can be seen billowing from the natural or the grapevine entrance. And so this causes air to circulate all throughout the cave, which is pretty cool. There's a, basically a natural ventilation there. So really interesting stuff. I'd recommend visiting a cave if you're anywhere in the Appalachians, if you're down in Florida, even places like New Mexico have Carlsbad Caverns. Take your family, your kids or grandkids to a cave. It's a great place to go. And on a hot summer day, it's nice and cool down there in the cave. It's a great place to explore with kids. From Lost World Caverns, I drove to into the town of Lewisburg, the county seat of Greenbrier County, West Virginia. I was looking for evidence of any sinkholes on the landscape or stories from locals about sinkholes and their impacts. Boy, did I stumble across some really interesting stories in this part of the world. As I walked around vibrant and festive Lewisburg, which was already decorated for the holidays, I came across four gentlemen conversing in Robert's Antiques, who shared fascinating stories about caves and sinkholes in their town. So yeah, so we're here in Lewisburg, West Virginia, talking about caves, sinkholes, all this good stuff. And there's like way more stories than I thought were possible. So um, when we were talking about, you, were, you guys were talking about Walmart for one, right? So there's a cave under the parking lot and actually under Walmart? Okay, I'm sorry, what's your name again? My name's Hal, by the way. Eric. So so it's Quezon, and that's that's the parking lot and part of Walmart, right? Underneath the ground, there's pilings that go all the way to the bottom of the cave and come up, and it basically sits on like a bridge pillar. Basically, Walmart sits on a cave here in Lewisburg. Yeah, the whole town sits on a cave. I mean, did, has anyone explored it? Do you know like how, how deep it is or anything? I have no clue how deep it is. Um, there's been people, you know, explore underneath the caves. That crazy guy that owned the... the corner store jerry but you, you said it was like super expensive just to build even the parking lot because it was so unstable yeah yeah and then they just redid city hall they had to pump a bunch of ground into it to keep it from falling into the cave so how often do you hear like something opens up or i mean pretty frequently yeah, what would you say bob i mean Every couple of years. Yeah, it seems like every few something. months. Yeah. Well, that's how I got down here. Someone said, go down, down to Asylum. They thought there was a sinkhole over by Asylum. So that's kind of how I ended up here downtown. There's a cave over by the Asylum. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's on the back side of the Asylum. If you're standing on the back porch, yeah. you look back to your right, and that's the cave I was telling you. It goes all the way from here down to Fort Springs. Yeah. Um, so that's crazy. So you were talking about insurance. Usually that's not covered, but if someone has, a, I guess, an addition onto their normal policy, right? Correct. Yes, we just had a, a a problem with that just the last two years. So some people, I, I know like in hurricane country, a lot of people assume everything's covered, right? And Correct. all of a sudden it's like they didn't actually read their policy and it's like, no, it clearly isn't. No, it, no, it isn't in all policies, but yes, you can add enhancements to, yeah. and it's smart to do that in this country. I got you. So in, would you say this is an area of West Virginia with more caves than others? I mean, I, I saw there was a bunch of even like commercial caves around here. I would say it's probably the most... Yeah. yeah, southern West Virginia with the caves and yeah, yeah limestone country. Yeah, so, limestone. yeah. So, pretty much where you get the limestone, you'll get the caves, sinkholes, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say so. That'd be correct. I'm not a geologist. If you go to the second light, 
Yeah. You go to the second light here in Lewisburg. Yeah. You look at a building and it's pie. It looks like it cut off like a pie. And the front of it fell in years ago. So the front of the building just fell into a yeah. sinkhole. And so they made it so now it's just blunt yeah. front. And right across the street, there's a cavern there. And there's a large grate and they kind of keep repairing it all the time. And they used to sink cars in there just to fill the hole. So the hole just kept growing and they would put cars in just to fill it? Years ago they did. But now with uh, the way things are, they've been putting these metal grates and a lot of iron in there and concrete to hold it up. Okay, we gotta, we gotta tell our listeners about the CIA story. What's, what's the deal with the, the CIA and the post office? Uh, a guy I knew uh, wore a postal uniform during the anthrax scare and the lady across the street hit him on the head with a bag of flour. And the FBI came out like in a matter of minutes in black cars with machine guns. And they say that Sam Black, there's a place where they go under the ground and that's where they have their facility. And nobody- Almost like a secret bunker. A secret bunker. Was the idea he was maybe dressed up like Postal, but he was really CIA? He made his own uniform, yes. And it was really wild because that lady's crazier than hell. So uh, that was maybe proof like, okay, maybe there are some CIA folks around here, well, maybe around. In, the, in the bunker. And stuff. No question they're around. And there was that bunker as well for Congress, right? In, at Greenbrier, yeah, is that? Greenbrier. So I just learned about that today and some people were saying word kind of got out. You know, it was supposed to be this secret bunker, right? Uh -huh. But then people all kind of knew about it, right? Well, the neighbor of my son, he worked there and he was a... Uh, technician for TVs and he didn't even know how to work on a TV. He couldn't even, he barely could turn one on. So <laughs> he, he worked, worked there to help construct it? He hid that. He was in, involved in hiding that bunker from other people. So nobody knew about it. And that, that, was that under the Greenbrier? It was under the Greenbrier. That could fit like over a thousand people, right? The majority of his life really? since the bunker was built. Um, yeah, so that's fascinating. I guess partly you have a lot of open space uh, caverns here, but then you're not that far from Washington, D.C., oh, no. you know, if you're on a, on a helicopter or something like that. The government's all over us. If you look in my back room, I have one of its pieces of equipment hanging from my ceiling. It has big eyes. Go look for yourself. Take a picture. What, what is it? Go look and see. Wait, so we're, we're looking at this thing. It has like these eyes on it, these lenses, and this is like a video surveillance? government government yeah the government put it in here so they kind of want a surveillance on the people I coming in people and out coming in and out is it partly because of this town and because of the security issue you know just it seems we like there's a lot bunkers. Of important people that come in here a lot of our clients are wealthy and that's what they want to know they want to know what they're doing <laughs> that's wild um and that kind of relates maybe with some of these bunkers and different things uh, perhaps for, um, without a question yeah, um, that's right. Really, I thought you were pulling my leg at first, but um, yeah, it's like this really interesting camera with these eyes on it, four, four eyes in four different directions and stuff. <laughs> I never would have thought. Of it.
So I was blown away by the extent to which underground openings impact a town like Lewisburg. Imagine living in a town that's basically built on top of large caverns. What struck me the most was the effort locals have put in to stabilize the ground underneath them. Whether that means building a large caisson or a frame structure underneath a place like Walmart, or filling areas with dirt, concrete, or even cars. Sometimes it sounded like they were just trying to get anything they can to fill the ground and eventually stabilize it. The angle about the federal government using underground space as bunkers caught me completely off guard. But this makes sense in an area with such a history of using and creating openings like caves and tunnels in a place not that far from Washington, D.C. as the crow flies. Our conversation in Robert's Antiques touched on the topic of the bunker under the Greenbrier Resort. Check this out. Do a web search on it. It's a fascinating story. This was a massive Cold War era bunker built to house all 535 members of Congress should a nuclear war break out. Ted Gupp's article, The Last Resort, published on May 31, 1992 in the Washington Post, led to the declassification of the bunker under the Greenbrier Resort. Today, the resort offers bunker tours to guests and visitors. Their surveillance camera system in the back of Robert's Antiques in Lewisburg was odd, unexpected, and almost seemed too outrageous to be true. But there it was in the back room, a large chandelier with four yellow-looking eyes looking in different directions. Other interactions I had in town led me to believe that all this surveillance and modern-day classified bunkers might actually be legit. My hotel receptionist told me that her father warned her against going to her favorite hill for watching sunsets anymore, as he suspected a bunker had been ex excavated below it. From Lewisburg, an interesting town that seems to hold a lot of secrets, I drove to Hinton the next morning to investigate the massive sinkhole that had impacted the town and drawn much attention from the media. I encountered, I encountered the sinkhole just before I entered town and was able to interview a concerned local resident named Christy who lived just down the street from the sinkhole. My name is Hal, so I'm an extreme weather and disaster scientist. I'm in West Virginia just doing stories on sinkholes. I was in Lewisburg, and they said, go to Hinton. There was this big sinkhole that opened over here by the police station. And so, and you live right down the street from that, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What is your name? My name's Christy Eplick. Christy, I appreciate you taking time. So this is a big sinkhole. You said it opened up, I guess, in June, so like over the summer. Yeah, it opened up sometime in June, and uh, it was small. It was only about six feet across. They said it was like 30 feet deep. Um, and it remained that way for several months and here maybe a month and a half ago it started getting bigger and like two weeks ago they put the bridge over it uh, and it, they closed down the whole road for a weekend like Friday, Saturday and Sunday and uh, so in order to get to town where like the grocery stores and stuff took 45 minutes. Wait, so all of a sudden they closed down that road and you live right on that road. So you had to find a whole different route to go and get your groceries and things like that. Yeah, we did. Uh, because you would have to go all the way back down Route 20 and cut up ramp and go across the mountain and then come back down on the other side of town. Wow, so, that so that's a good point. Just by changing one road, all of a sudden for locals, that changes everything. Yeah, it made it so that people, it made the hospital way farther away. It made uh, yeah. your food, gasoline, stuff that yeah. you might need from town. You're like, well, you better grab all your stuff because you're not going nowhere well, for days. And right here, you're right on the edge of town, but there's really one road in and out. So you yeah. it, that really was an inconvenience big time. And, and it could really be a hazard if you had to get to the hospital or needed medical. Sure, you could. It could really cause a problem there. Uh, 
and hopefully that doesn't happen again. Honestly, I was a little worried that there was something else wrong with the hole with this new equipment out here and uh, that it, the road may be blocked off. I see. So now this new equipment came out just recently, like, like even this morning right now. I got you. That's so you, why I'm standing out here. Yeah. So you as a local, like what's going on? Is it gotten worse or what are they doing over there? Yeah. I'm wondering what they're doing over there really because uh, this great big excavator here was not there. I heard it coming in. That's why I came outside and they also had a truck full of supplies. And my guess is that this hole is getting bigger. They need to shore it up again. And maybe that bridge is in trouble. And that, that that that's a big concern for us. Uh, my boyfriend works in Tazewell, Virginia, and so if he has to drive around, it takes him an extra forty-five minutes, and he's already driving an hour and a half to get there. Right. And uh, so that sort of thing's a problem. You know, I'm learning something here too because in some parts of the U.S. everything's so flat, and so to find an alternate route, no problem. It's a grid system. But here y'all are kind of, the, the main roads are right along the river. And if you block off one of those roads, that can cause, uh, it's not like you have a big grid of all these available roads. No, you have maybe one way in and out. We a bunch of small roads going over the mountains, but most of them are just one lane. And uh, some of them are not in good shape. And some of them don't exist anymore. Roads that existed when I was a teenager don't exist anymore. Probably a dozen of them just in the county. Uh, Probably especially really rural roads going over the mountains, yeah, something rural, like that. Yeah, tiny roads. You know, these roads scare people from other places. They're straight up and down, huge, yeah. uh, huge curves in them. Christy, were any of the locals here concerned that the that the hole and some of the instability of the ground could come over and impact any of these houses around here, or was the concern just about the road? Um, we think it's mostly about the road. We've had a couple sinkholes before down on the lower road a little bit further into town it was one of the 80s and one of the 90s and they managed to fix those and the road is fine and there's also a place up here where they've condemned half a dozen houses where the hillside was sliding down so we have the mountain likes gravity and gravity is pulling the mountain down and we have to shore it up or the houses don't stay there yeah, and where we're at right now, I mean, you can see mountains really all around town here and, and a river going through. Christy, I appreciate you taking time. I hope everything gets shored up here and hopefully the road will stay open for y'all. Yeah, I hope we continue to have a road too. <laughs> so let's talk a little more about this sinkhole. According to the West Virginia DOT, the failure of a 90-year-old drain under Route 20 in Hinton caused a sinkhole, which formed originally in June as a hole that was about six feet wide and 30 feet deep. A West Virginia Department of Highways crew installed a 120-foot temporary culvert and fill material under the road, but heavy rains from Hurricane Nicole on Friday, November 11th, 2022, washed out the fill and made the sinkhole worse. So this phenomenon fits into that category of sinkholes that Greg Boso was talking about that are influenced by humans forming along drains, pipes, or culverts. I want to draw attention to the fact that it was rain from the remnants of Hurricane Nicole that washed out the fill and made the sinkhole worse. Many people are really surprised to hear about flood impacts from hurricanes in inland states like West Virginia. But hurricane remnants have produced tragic floods in the history of mountain estates like West Virginia, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. In fact, Hinton, West Virginia, where we saw this sinkhole, is not that far in a straight line from Nelson County in the western part of the state of Virginia, site of the deadliest natural disaster in Virginia history. 
1969, the remnants of Category 5 Hurricane Camille, which originally made landfall in Mississippi, dumped as much as 30 inches of rain in the Virginia mountains, creating catastrophic flooding that killed 113 people, according to NOAA. So these inland floods, the remnants of hurricanes, maybe they're at Cat 3, 4, or 5 on the coast. By the time they reach West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, they might just be a tropical storm or a depression. They can dump tremendous rainfall that produces a lot of flooding. In this case, fortunately, we did not hear about any fatalities from Hurricane Nicole's rains in West Virginia, but it did wash out the fill and made the sinkhole worse, which affected a lot of people. After talking to Christy, I went over to the sinkhole for the first time to take a look at it myself and strike up a conversation with a local man named Bush Quinn. They don't want a road where they can want the county to pay for it or the state pay for it. And they ain't made up their mind what they're going to do. They got oh, as far as the, the building? Yeah. Then they got a gas line over it. They don't know what to do with it. So there's a gas line that was right by the sinkhole or it impacted? Yeah, I think that yellow line right there is oh, a gas right. line. Yeah. But uh, one can't make up their mind what the other one's going to do. They said it's going to be the first of January before they uh, do anything with it. So did that affect gas coming in and out of the city? Were they able to shut it off? I don't think they've shut it off yet. No, I don't know. They they put a line out yonder. When this sinkhole first started, they might have changed it. That gas might not be coming through there now. They might have took it around. When the sinkhole started, did they close the road right away or did it take a while? It took a while. They moved the road over first and then they had a, uh, you see that light up there for one lane? And yeah. then they started coming over towards the lane that they was using that where that white mark is on the other side of them barriers right there. They was using that lane. And oh. then it, it started coming over towards it. So they uh, put that bridge in there. When did they build the bridge? Well, last, weekend. last weekend. Oh, really? So that's new? Yeah. Yeah. Now it starts sinking some more. Uh, yeah. The, so the, we see the day a bunch of work crews, uh, bunch of machinery was that here like say yesterday or did they just come in today well, he, he come in here when they uh, built the bridge i got you i guess this yeah, yeah. work crew just today i don't think they know what to do i see so it sounds like it's very dynamic it's changing pretty quick and you have to think on your feet kind of and the yeah. building so this is partly under the road but partly under the police station and so i'm imagining they moved the police out of there right yeah they done moved it down there in the what is that building now? Put it in technology building for right now. Well, you're going to see they're going to do something there now. And it sounds like there's a question here on what they're going to do with the building. Maybe they're going to have to figure that yeah. out. Well, they're going to have to tear the building down. Oh, they yeah. Have, yeah. They're going to tear it down. Well, see, that pipe goes all the way down through there. And the, the sinkhole happened along the pipe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate y'all taking time. My name is Hal. What is your name? Uh, Bush Gwynn. So there I was, talking to Bush Quinn about the dynamic nature of the sinkhole as work crews were busy working on it and cars lined up at a makeshift red light on one side of the temporary bridge, then crossed over together in a line. Bush indicated that he felt the entities involved in organizing and responding to the sinkhole did not know what they were doing, or at least that there was a lot of uncertainty about how to move forward. A quick housekeeping note on how we record and select field interviews on the GeoTrek podcast. 
When possible, we prioritize interviews with professionals who have expertise and who are sharing factual information. I generally set up these interviews long before I arrive in a location. For example, I selected Greg Boso as the key interview of this podcast because of his strong reputation in the community and his decades of experience working in civil and forensic engineering. After interviewing Greg, I wanted to float a bit through West Virginia, see the impacts of sinkholes and caves for myself, and talk to locals. I heard about Hinton's sinkhole when I was in Lewisburg and popped over the next morning to check it out for myself. I approached someone wearing a bright colored vest on a work crew for an interview and asked them, would you have a few words about the sinkhole and what you're doing? They turned me down for that interview. I can't blame them. Workers were working really hard to fix a sinkhole problem, and big media like the major TV networks had already conducted interviews on site. So in that context, the best I could really do was to stand by the sinkhole, kind of check it out for myself, and talk to locals about the impact. But Bush's viewpoint that the response is uncoordinated, I think it probably would not match the local government perspective if I could have gotten an official interview that morning. And it's certainly not the position of GeoTrek podcast that we're you know, going in and, and uh, maybe saying things that make the local government look bad or make things look uncoordinated. Nonetheless, we often do try to share interviews with locals on many of our podcasts because they give a different perspective from what we may hear on the mainstream news. Also, insights on the impacts of hazards, like what Christy said about this made her trip in into town 45 minutes longer, that may be very different type of perspective than what we hear from the official messaging coming out from federal, state, or local governments. In other words, these conversations with locals, they add color, they add perspective and context to the hazard and a way that it gets a little bit beyond just the official messaging, if you will. So anyway, that's a little perspective on how we do these field interviews. Where possible, we're going to try to talk to professionals and experts, but we also will put the mic up and, and talk to locals sometimes as well. But it does not represent GeoTrack like official position, if that makes sense. We're just trying to connect you with the locals and with experts as much as possible. So you get an idea of what it felt like on the ground. We really want to take you there and have you feel like you were right there in these different disasters and hazards. Hey, let's talk a little bit about this temporary bridge that was set up uh, on the edge of the sinkhole. This is really interesting. The West Virginia DOT website says the, the prefabricated steel bridge is similar to Bailey bridges developed by the British military during World War II and requires a assembly on site. Amazingly, they assembled and installed this bridge in about 24 to 48 hour time frame over a weekend. So great job there. I know the locals were really excited to have the bridge to feel more confident about driving past the sinkhole and, uh, you know, to get that done quickly. It was pretty amazing. Well, I left the sinkhole and had to find Wi-Fi in downtown Hinton. Along my way, I found Hinton to be an old railroad town with a large historic district. While some parts of town almost felt like a ghost town devoid of human activity, I did find some signs of life and rebirth, including a few shops that had opened up, like the Otter and Oak. This establishment has a bright and clean clothing store downstairs and a cafe upstairs, where I conducted my last interview with a woman named Myra. She shared perspectives that might not be apparent unless you were a local living there in Hinton, West Virginia. I'm here in Hinton, West Virginia. I'm uh, talking to two wonderful ladies who shared a little bit about the impact of the sinkhole. Myra, you were sharing some of the local impacts that a lot of people may not realize if they didn't know the town. Well, yes. Um, the schools I know had trouble getting the buses past the sinkhole. And so for at least one week or several days, they would bus the children to one side of that sinkhole and put them on vans that uh, came from the church, local churches and some of the other local organizations that had 
lighter vehicles and they would carry the children past the sinkhole and then put them on the bus to take them on to the school, which is uh, three or four miles beyond the sinkhole. So. I mean, that's amazing. You think of the weight of a school bus is a lot more than a car and then all those precious children, it's, it's, you could see where people would say, let's not take a chance. Let's drop them off on one side and pick them up on the other. That, that's correct. And then I also know that the library runs a bookmobile uh, from Hinton past that area and down to um, that part of the county. And um, they were not willing to take the bookmobile past the sinkhole. Although now that there's a bridge there, I think that, that they're back on schedule with their bookmobile. Right, obviously you're concerned about the driver, but then the, you're thinking probably about the weight of the vehicle, right? And, yeah. and when the sinkhole is kind of encroaching there on the road, so you can see why it would be a little bit dicey. Yes, the sinkhole was definitely encroaching on the road. Things were really hanging over and sinking down in it. it it's, it's incredible. Once the bridge went in, and it sounds like it went in fairly recently, did that give people a little more confidence, do you think, to maybe drive past there? Did that uh, change things at all? I haven't been down to look at it. It's only been in since this past weekend, I guess. Um, and But yes, I believe that they're running the buses past it, and people are feeling much more secure about the fact that it's not going to fall in with them. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for taking time. You live in a beautiful, historic town. It's great with the sun coming out, the view of the mountains, but a really cool little town. And thanks for sharing these stories. Well, certainly. Well, my conversation with Mira wrapped up my interviews about sinkholes in West Virginia. We covered so much ground on a new topic never featured before on the GeoTrek podcast that I wanted to go back through and just give four bullet points to summarize what we learned on this episode. Number one, Greg Boso helped us understand that sinkholes can form from both natural and man-made causes. In karst landscapes that have a lot of limestone, sinkholes tend to form where water dissolves the limestone underground. These can form along natural waterways, but they can also form along pipes, culverts, or drains. Number two, West Virginians have adapted to a life that includes living on top of caves and sinkholes, especially in the eastern part of the state. Towns like Lewisburg have extensive caverns underneath them, requiring people to either fill the holes or create structures like frames or caissons to stabilize the ground. Number three, caves, sinkholes, fissures, tunnels, and bunkers have found their way into the local culture of eastern West Virginia. In addition to commercial caves, bunkers have been developed by the federal government for various reasons. The Cold War bunker under the Greenbrier Resort is now declassified and open for tours, but other bunkers may still be classified and in use. Number four, sinkholes can have a detrimental impact on buildings and roads in a place like West Virginia. Roads between towns often hug the rivers because of all the mountains in West Virginia, providing the main transportation route between towns. A sinkhole along a road like Route 20 on the edge of Hinton obstructs a pinch point, a key area that really is crucial for local transportation. When this pinch point has a sinkhole, it can add as much as 45 minutes on a trip just into town because locals must now find alternative routes over winding mountain roads. This is very different than a flat landscape or a city with gridded streets where traffic could be easily redirected. So it's really amazing to learn about the wide-reaching impacts of one hole in the ground that could impact 
people for at least tens of miles around in all directions. So really interesting stuff there that you wouldn't really understand unless you got on the ground there in West Virginia. Well, hey, thanks for coming along on this adventure to the mountain state of West Virginia, everybody. Don't miss next week's episode when we do basically a companion episode in neighboring Kentucky. We'll be going live to the National Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky in the western part of the state to learn about the impacts and response to a sudden sinkhole that opened up there in 2014, gobbling up eight vintage sports cars. That's a fascinating episode that you don't want to miss. It was recorded live on the site there at the National Corvette Museum in Kentucky. Special thanks as well to our GeoTrek marketing and developing team. They're Seneth Baker, Ashley Anderson, Jeremiah Long, Christopher Cook, Amy Wilkins, and Courtney Booker. This is Dr. Hal signing off until the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.